the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad free content. For all of these stories every single day, visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription. We are also presented by Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who can customize the repayment plan, cater to your client's situation. Borrow wisely, borrow smartly, Avoid those broker fees, and when you pay it back early, there's no penalty for doing so. Whether your client is currently under contract and looking to bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent out there looking for their next deal, or looking to borrow money for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be your resource today. Visit balancedbridge.com. Happy Monday. My name is Mike Gennetti. A little later than usual on this show because, as you might imagine... I'm waiting to see if Max Scherzer becomes a New York Met in the next couple of minutes. Now, I uh, I do have a little discussion on this later in the show where I think there's some reality involved here. I talk about the money. And of course, some of these other signings on a busy Saturday, Sunday of Major League Baseball free agency. There's a reason by it. I talk about it in, in the just a few minutes as well. And of course, a couple of quick hits in the NFL. Lamar Jackson was weird last night. That was a weird kind of brutal, awful game. But just a takeaway on Lamar as a whole, him as a quarterback, statistically speaking, Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens and where they're going with him as at the helm and what the, that means contractually uh, from a projection standpoint, from a guaranteed standpoint, things like that. And then same conversation with Jonathan Taylor, who is not yet eligible for a contract, but anytime we can get a running back kind of coming to the forefront of the conversation, it's worth discussing. And we'll talk about him contractually speaking, what he might need to do over the next 18 months to bump that thing up a little bit and where he currently stands in terms of numbers. And then back into the show, Scott Allen Jones to talk about a little bit of NBA. It's not exactly a big NBA news cycle situation, but the John Wall story is interesting for a couple of reasons. A, there's 91 million left to talk about. B, he refuses to play for Houston, but wants to play basketball, just not in the, in the fact that Houston wants to play him. So is a trade coming? What does that mean? He's a clutch client. Is, does that mean the Ben Simmons conversation gets involved at some point? Is that a good fit? Just some back and forth on John Wall basically breaching contract right now with the Houston Rockets at the back end of this show. Jonathan Taylor, fresh off a absolute ass kicking to the Bills two weeks ago, comes back against Tampa Bay and he's muted. He that It was certainly about stacking the box against that Colts offense and making Carson Wentz do the work, which he did for the most part and couldn't get it done at the end of the game. Tampa Bay prevailed, but they did a hell of a job shutting down Jonathan Taylor. Certainly that's going to be the game plan against that Colts team because, you know, putting your eggs into Carson Wentz's basket is probably going to be every single defensive coordinator's option, right? Best option. So that's a team that's going to be limited until they're not, but Jonathan Taylor's a superstar. He's an MVP candidate. He's not going to win the MVP, in my opinion, because of what I just said. There is a way to stop him from being productive, even if that doesn't stop the Colts from winning. But let's talk about the valuation because I think it's really interesting. There's, It's this time of year, right? Early December, late November, when the running back position really starts to heat up. It hits the front pages. It starts to carry teams. 
we start to really worry about this from a fantasy perspective. There's injuries. There's a lot going in here. But with him specifically, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people look at him. And I had Kim Jones on last week. We kind of talked about it briefly with versus a Saquon Barkley. It, it just doesn't seem like he's a complete running back. Yes, he's going you know between the tackles, finding holes and lighting people up down the middle of the field. But is he catching many balls out of the backfield? Is he the complete running back that it takes to get the high contract in this league right now? So I did two versions of evaluation for him. The first one was I let the algorithm do the work. You tell me math who he basically comps best against. So that's going to be Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, those kind of players. So mathematically, our algorithm is saying, okay, he's not a pass catching running back with any kind of substance. If if those are the comps, right? Because those are the players who, yes, they do catch the ball. Certainly Aaron Jones is the better of that group. But for the most part, they're between the tackles running back and they've been paid as such. You know, Mixon 12, Henry 12 and a half. I believe Chubb 12 and a half as well. That's the second tier. And it has to do with catching the ball. That's it. That's it. If you're a one trick pony, that's where you are, 12, 13 million, 14 million plus. So Aaron Jones, 14 million, he becomes that kind of th- the, the the middle rung between the top tier, the, the total complete running back and everybody else below him. Kamara, 15, Delvin Cook, 15, Zeke, 15, CMC, 16. That's your that's your middle ground and that's your baseline. So where does Jonathan Taylor fall? So the first valuation, just mathematically speaking, was 13.3. So approaching Aaron Jones, which is easily his best comp right now, but you know, not enough production out of that backfield to leap over Jones and get into that top echelon of running back pay. He probably needs to catch two or three more balls a game between now and the end of next season to really mathematically get to that point. And certainly, you know, our valuations and these algorithms, that's not how everybody sits down and hammers out these contracts. So this isn't gospel by any means. I'm just telling you, based on the valuations we have, the contracts that have been signed and the production that's been out there and certainly where the game is going, that's where he sits mathematically speaking. Now, if I throw all that out and I do a second valuation where I just put him up against the four highest paid running backs in football, CMC, Zeke, Kamara, Cook, he projects to 15.4. So so what's the difference? Why, why can he be 13.3 just kind of naturally? But if I inject him into the top tier, he almost gets to CMC. He literally sits halfway between CMC and, and Kamara and Zeke. So he would be the number two paid running back with that number. So how does that happen? It happens because, A, he's catching some balls. You know, he's he's got some kind of production out of the backfield. He's not, you know, Henry, which is, I believe, less than 10 yards per game catching the ball out of the backfield. That's not going to get it done. That's why he's 12 and a half. But at the same time, his he's rushing for 87 yards a game, which is well north of where many of these backs were leading up to their contracts. And this is the kicker. He's scoring 0.93 touchdowns per game, which is light years ahead of every other, all of these backs, all of them. He is, he is a touchdown machine. And I'm telling you right now, I don't care what position you are, tight end, second running back, 
Naeem Hines, right? If you score touchdowns for your team, it is the single most important stat you can produce. And he will get paid because of it. So, so yes, naturally, mathematically, he's not a top-tier paid running back right now. But because of the strength of some of his statistics, and oh, by the way, because he has 18 months to get this done, which could help him out of the backfield even more, Right now, I think the 15.4, 15.5 is the right number to put him at with a waiver that says if they win, right, if this, if this turns into a postseason run this or next year, and he keeps up this touchdown rate, even comes close to it. I mean, if he's around the point nine mark, he's going he's gonna to surpass CMC. He's going to be the highest paid running back in, in history because of that statistic alone. It's that important. And it makes sense, of course. Touchdowns is everything. So... That's where we are with Jonathan Taylor. And look, he can't even get touched contractually until after next season. This is year two. You got to finish year three before the extension eligibility kicks in. But what's going for him? A, the stats. B, Indy's starting to win ballgames because of him. And C, this time next year, okay, at the end of year three, he's going to be 23 years old. That's a huge bonus to him because it means... They'll have no trouble giving him four, maybe even five years of new new year's new money with at that age. Guaranteed two with a third that can kick in, which means 26, 27 years old, he'll be, he'll be fully guaranteed through. There's a lot of things going in his favor. The best thing they, they can do is win ball games. And the best thing from a selfish standpoint is catch two or three more balls, and it'll be a slam dunk that you're over 16 million when it's time when the time comes. Lamar Jackson is one of the most interesting and polarizing figures in the game. He has been since he entered, honestly, since he was drafted because of where he fell to. And, you know, he's an absolute treat to watch almost every single night. Some, some nights are better than others, but that's the point here. He is a boomer bust style player. And I thought Mike Trico uh, really kind of forced a nice conversation last night during that game to basically say, look, he is who he is. He doesn't want to change and nor, nor does his coaching staff want him to change. In fact, the Baltimore Ravens, Ravens identity has evolved to match or at least attempt to match who Lamar Jackson is. And that's extremely complicated. They reference Kaepernick and, and Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco. It, it is not, it's, it's not easy to do because nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is trying to build an offense like this. So you can't just go and say, look, we just want to do what Andy Reid's doing, or we just want to go and do what Belichick or McDerm- McDermott are doing, and we'll follow that style. And we'll try to build a team that way so we can compete with those kind of clubs right now. They have to do everything on their own. They're very isolated. You know, they have to be a, a certain type of offensive line that can work with the breakdown ability of what Lamar Jackson is going to do every three plays. It's tight end heavy. It's fullback heavy. It's non-traditional based on what modern football is. Now, it's a little bit old school. Uh, you know, the Cunningham years, the Michael Vick years, we, we have, we've had this before, but there wasn't a hard cap there. You know, there were a lot of things that have changed since those elements have gone away and kind of come back. I thought the Kaepernick stuff was good because we kind of forget just how dynamic he was using his feet with the, with the deep balls. It is a very similar style to what Lamar can be. And by the way, it is a bit boomer bust. Kaepernick had his picks. Certainly Lamar had his last night and he's got 12 now this year. So uh, it's a, it's a sloppier season from him from a, from a rushing standpoint. He's also been sacked a gazillion times this year. So what is that telling me? It's, it's telling me that, that Baltimore is trying to get him to stay in the pocket more. They are trying to get him to stay away from it. And, and I don't think that's from 
a style standpoint. I think it's from a health standpoint. Trico mentioned that as well last night, and it's come up a lot, of course. You know, the thing about Lamar Jackson and his style of play, when you add in the fact that, hey, we're going to have to tack on five years, you know, to a contract here sooner rather than later, is how do we keep this guy in the field? Trico mentioned Russell Wilson, which is always the guy I go to because Wilson was the five-star athlete, right? Drafted by the Yankees. I mean, could have done anything in his life. He's just one of those human beings who's going to be good at everything. And he has made a self-decision, and I'm sure Seattle had a big part in it, and his trainer, he he does a lot of mental health work. He has changed his philosophy to basically say, okay, I, I need to play this way specifically to keep myself on the field. Because more importantly, availability is the best ability here, especially at this position. And it's dead on. And I, and I, I marvel what Russell Wilson has been able to do over the past decade in terms of a health standpoint. As many of you know, this injury recently this year, that was his first start missed. That's nuts. That's nuts at this position with his kind of versatility. So if, if the goal of Baltimore and Lamar Jackson is, we need to, we need to slowly mold you into Russell Wilson, Easier said than done, but it is the right approach in my opinion. Let's talk contract real quick. He entered the season in our system at $42.5 million per year. So he was right there with Allen, a tick behind Mahomes, which feels just about right. Ahead of Dak, you know, ahead of Deshaun Watson. He's got an MVP. He's a 37-10 and 10 regular season record. 83 passing touchdowns, 21 rushing touchdowns right now. You know, that's 100-plus touchdowns total. And he's completing 64% of his passes. And he does throw deep often. So he's doing everything the right way in the regular season. Now, it's postseason. You know, he's one and three, three touchdowns, five picks. That, that completion percentage drops to 55%. So he's had a rough four games. And he hasn't yet hit a championship game. So you can talk Kaepernick, but Kaepernick's been to a Super Bowl. Josh Allen's been to an AFC championship. Patrick Mahomes has won a Super Bowl it's tough to to put him in that echelon just yet when he hasn't won the big the big games on the big stage that's not going to deflate baltimore from doing this contract in my opinion to me he's done enough he's been consistent enough and he's evolved enough you know maybe not to the point of where he has to be with the with the wilson conversation but he's on that track based on my eye test enough to say we're going to knock you out five more years We'll, you know, we'll rip up the fifth-year option next year. We'll tack on five more. It'll be a six-year contract. That gives us time to do a double bonus if we need to to spread out our cap. To me right now, yes, the valuation has dropped because it's been a sloppier production year. So it's down around the $40.5 million mark in terms of math. That's not going to stop me from going higher than that. I, I think it's, it's a tick above Josh Allen at the end of the day, somewhere around five for 215. So 43, maybe 43.5 million per year. It's the guarantees they're going to have to be have to be careful with because you don't want to get yourself in a situation where you've got four years fully guaranteed and this guy gets injured because of his style of play. So, you know, the, the two sides are going to have to play ball a little bit there, in my opinion. If Allen gets 150 in practical guarantees, maybe it's a tick under that. Maybe it's 145 for, for, for Lamar Jackson, somewhere around that. Still unbelievable money, but he's, his age is in his factor. He's got a lot of things in his corner right now. To me, though... And this has been something I've been reluctant to say because he hasn't won on the big stage. And the MVP was not selfish, but very self-inflicted. I mean, all of his stats are very personal and they didn't lead to a ton of winning at the time. He's done enough now. He's more of a complete package, in my opinion. He's he's trending in the right direction in, in a lot of places. 
you get this contract done probably as soon as the season is over. And it's going to be right there with Allen, just a tick under Mahomes. And uh, Baltimore keeps on going from there because there's plenty of building to do around him, by the way, especially defensively. Major League Baseball free agency. Why was Sunday night so crazy with Major League signings? Here's why. The CBA is set to expire December 2nd, basically December 1st. And you don't want to be signing players right up against that because you need to get physicals in. You've got to get medicals in. There's a lot of things that can't happen right now because of the pandemic that take longer. So there's a lot of situations that you need three, four days to do that. That's why we're seeing November 28th, 29th here be absolute monster days in free agency. So Marcus Simeon, you know, the seventh shortstop sort of available out there gets 175 million from the Texas Rangers. Look, Texas is in one of those places where they have to overpay to kind of build themselves back up. They have good young talent. They have started to sign some, some position players of note. Simeon is going to be the centerpiece. I don't know if he can be a centerpiece. He was a above average player in Oakland who had a phenomenal one-year season with Toronto. Exactly what he was asked to do. One year's 18 million. Come and show the world what you really are and do it on a team that needs veteran help. He was perfect for Toronto. I am not going to knock Marcus Simeon going to Texas nor, nor Texas paying $175 million for him because it does sound like somebody was sitting there at, at six years for 150. So it, it, that's all get get what you can get in my opinion. The problem with it is, and it's not a problem, it's a good problem. If Marcus Simeon is 175 and he was at the bottom of the list of these big shortstops, that means stories 200, bias is 200, Correa is 300, and Seeger's probably 330, 340, maybe even past Lindor at 341. Probably actually, because the Dodgers are in, the Yankees are in. I think the Yankees are in and Texas, by the way, is still in. So it's not just we're bringing in Simeon. He's going to be our guy. It's this is step one of a two part, maybe half a billion dollar piece that includes a brand new middle infield. It's not my favorite approach. And I realize that the shortstops that are available are phenomenal players. I just don't know that that's a position specifically that gets you to the finish line. Defense matters. And all of these players are, are phenomenal defensive players. And Marcus Simeon showed he's got pop. He can bat for average. He can bat for, for slugging. I'm not sure if that he can do that consistently over a seven-year period, but we'll have to see. But uh, he's the bottom of the ladder here in a lot of cases, which means everybody else benefits upward in terms of price tag for this. So it's a heck of a, of a parting shot to get this thing going. It's, it's a big move for Texas. I'm not sure we'll see the rest of these shortstops get done before you know the CBA locks us out here. It sounds like Seager may be the close one. Correa has stalled a little bit. I thought that that Detroit Correa situation was going to be quick. It sounds like there's some nickel and dime in there, but position wise, you know that's the big news. Yes, By Byron Buxton stays in Minnesota on a full na- full no trade clause, seven year, 100 million. That's a big one, of course. Uh, we've got some nice kind of pieces going at about 12 to 15 million per year. Stalling Marte. Escobar, Avisel Garcia goes to Miami. Miami, by the way, is in. Look for Miami and Detroit to be major players here whenever we get back to this whole offseason mess. Miami's trying to sign everybody. You know, outfield talent, home run pop, you know, Schwarber. And they're, and they're extending their own. They're going to they're try to get a pitcher. They've kept Alcantara. They're going to try to get Sixto Sanchez back healthy and sign him. They like everything about their youth and 
you know how it works in Miami. They pick their spots. They pay only when it's important to pay and they shut it down every other year. So the fact that they're even in on many of these contracts tells me they love who they are. They're going to go all in. Could be one of these shortstops. Could be one of these major pitchers out there and look for them to be legitimate contenders in the NL East because they feel they can be. Detroit's similar. Detroit knows that, that their division has sort of crumbled around them to some degree. And if they do a little bit of spending to complement the, the unbelievable group of kids they have, we mentioned last week, and especially the international players, they should have enough to, to be postseason in and postseason contenders. So those two teams, in my opinion, have a chance to do what they have to do. And whenever we get back to this, it'll be fun. And of course, my Mets. Let's talk about this. Three big position signings. You know, Syndergaard leaves. Sure sounds like Stroman's out the door based on his tweets and how he's basically mocking the Mets at this point. Um, so they have to replace a pitcher, basically two pitchers. And it sounds like they're trying to do that with one big swing, which is Max Scherzer. Now, they were in the conversation for Trevor Bauer a year ago. Let's not forget that. And it was a new ownership. It was a defunct front office. By the way, it still is. It's brand new now. You know, the Angels situation came to New York. That's why we saw three position players sign, <laughs> most likely. But now it is time, and Max Scherzer is the guy. Max Scherzer is a Boris client. All the right things are being said out loud. You know, he's looking for a contender. He wants to be on the East Coast. He lives in Florida. He'd love to be close to Port St. Lucie. The Mets are there. I, I'm excited about it from a Mets fan standpoint. The fact that he's 37 scares me. And the fact that we've seen this before with Scott Boris, not so much scares me. It just has me on red alert. You know, whether the Mets get Max Scherzer or not to me is a bit, is a little bit indifferent. He's a nice player. He'd be a heck of a compliment to DeGrom if he's healthy and can still do what he wants to do at his physical age. 42 million a year for that player is nuts. But mathematically speaking, we, we needed somebody to do this. I don't think it should have been a 37 year old. But I have been sitting on this microphone hammering for one of these major players to go short-term, high-impact AEV. Stop worrying about the damn luxury tax and just and do what's best for you. The team shouldn't want you for seven years just to spread out a contract. You shouldn't want to be under control for seven years. Get great money on three to four years, which is what Trevor Bauer did, by the way. And now it looks like that's what Max Scherzer is about to do as well. Let's just not be sold on the fact that it's going to be the Mets. Boris loves to use teams like the Mets who are a bit in, bit disheveled just to pump that price up, pump the leverage up, get everything out on Twitter, everybody talking about it, and then rip it away and, and send him back to the Dodgers or to the Phillies or to Boston or to the Yankees at the very last second for half a million per year or more. I have a feeling that is what's starting to happen here or that's what's attempting to be happening here. Boris is trying to leverage the Mets. But if nobody else bites... They're going to take this offer, and Max Scherzer is going to join the Mets. I just pumped the brakes on the fact that it's, air quotes, done right now. But that's certainly what's happening, and I can't fault it. I can't fault a high overpaid contract for any great pitcher because that's how the game is working right now. Now, you can tell me starting pitching is devalued, and you should be focusing on depth in your bullpen, and I would agree with you. But if you don't have three starting pitchers, to me, that's the number. If you don't have three that you can 100% rely on, I don't think you have enough to get through a season and certainly not a postseason. So it's it's good business, even though it's terrible from a price tag standpoint and from an age standpoint, there's a lot of red flags. 
this is the kind of player you do this on. You know, I'd rather them do this with Max Scherzer or even a Justin Verlander over Nick Castellanos, who's a heck of a player, but I don't want to be going 40 million a year for that player. And I don't think anybody will be anytime soon. All right, Scott, the NBA has been quiet outside of, you know, the Warriors dominating and the Lakers sort of flailing and notable early on season things. But the John Wall stuff that's hit the forefront recently is right in our alley. And it's worth discussing a little bit because it's awkward. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit like Deshaun Watson. It's a little bit like the Ben Simmons situation, except for it's not right at the, at the crust of it. It's, it's a player who just can't stay healthy, who we know has some sort of talent, who wants to play basketball, but is owed around 91 million, give or take a few million that's been paid out this year over the next two seasons. And Houston has no reason to play him. What, are the, what is the general thought here on Houston versus John Wall? And is this tradable? Is this a buyout situation? Where are we going with this? So Houston does not want him to start. It sounds like John Wall wants to start. Uh, he doesn't want to come off the bench. Really? I haven't um, even heard I, that yet. Yeah, I read that. Um, I, I think it, it, it goes back to the Where conversation the hell does we had he with get Keith. off with that, Scott? I, I don't know, but it, it goes back to the conversation here? we had we had with Keith and you know, it's why I brought it up when I did with him because John wall eventually is going to want to play. And now it sounds like he wants to play because he doesn't want to be in Houston. And the only way that he can sell himself to another team is if he plays to show that he has something left in the tank. However, as you alluded to right now, he has $44.3 million for his salary and a player option next year at $47.4 million, which for all intents and purposes, he's going to exercise that. So whatever team that wants to trade for him is taking on 44, three and 44 or 47, four, knowing the injury history, knowing, you know, whatever he has left in the tank. So this is a, an interesting situation. I don't foresee this being a buyout situation because of how much money is left, but, um, you know, weirder things have come to the forefront. Um, Scott, can they retain money in a trade? No, not that I'm aware of. Mm. I mean, what the only thing that a team could do is throw in money into the trade, not necessarily retain money from the what is owed for John Wall. Okay, but so what you, they could do is send throw forty in like million a, with it. I see. Yeah, so they could throw up to like five point six million dollars. Oh. I think that's the maximum right now. So it's, <laughs> Never it's chump change, but um, that money is usually thrown in there to buy a a pick at the dra- uh, draft or something like that. But as far as like with with baseball, where the team's going to pay twenty million dollars mm-hmm. of whatever's remaining, that doesn't happen. What is the incentive of the Houston Rockets this year? Are they tanking? Do they have the do they have the draft capital to where tanking would be effective to them, or do they have picks out there that could vest in certain situations and things like that? Uh, they have some picks that could vest. I know there's the situation where uh, they get the better of the two picks between Miami, Oklahoma City, and themselves, uh, or maybe. So there's a weird situation with you know conditional picks and that kind of stuff. I think. 
they're content on where they are with their roster building. They like their young core. They want to grow from that. And John Wall just throws a, a monkey wrench in their plan. And the beginning of the season was they had the agreement that we will have you sit, we'll pay you, and we will try to find you a trade. And if they can't, then you know we'll go from there. But it sounds like John Wall wants to be traded early, sooner than later. What's Houston saying about this, Scott? Houston's not going to budge. They, they are saying that we, you either come off the bench, we are not going to start you. We are starting with the players that we are uh, going with right now. And uh, so they're at a stalemate. And it should be noted that this is a clutch client. <laughs> I mean, here we are again, right? Right. Not, not a surprise. <laughs> okay. And, you know, the players that are, that are playing for Houston right now, are, they're not getting it done. This is the worst team in basketball. Am I incorrect in saying that? You are, not, or you are correct in saying that, but with that being said, they're, <laughs> they are at the bottom five of their starter pay as opposed to the rest of the league. So right. they are extremely young. Outside of John Wall, then the next highest salary that they have is Eric Gordon at $18.2 million, and then Christian Wood at 13.6. And who knows, Christian Wood could be on the trade block, you know, if they wanted to move. I've heard that come up here and there if Christian Wood could be that piece that Houston could move. Uh, but, you know, they have a young core that they want to play with, and I. They, they don't want John Wall starting. They want to get their reps with these players as much as possible. I, I hate to do this because it seems so gimmicky, but I, I am trying to figure out how this, this ends up. You know, the Christian Wood situation makes sense for Philadelphia. Is that incorrect and sane? No, that's not incorrect. So if we bring in the Ben Simmons part of this, knowing that Clutch is involved on both sides here, is it crazy for Philly to take on John Wall along with this? Mm. Yes, because if he wants to start, then you're going to have yeah, the but same it, situation. But, but is, is it a different situation? Because he wants to start to get traded. So so he, he now gets moved to a contender, a legit contender. Don't you think that that rider now goes away and he just wants to be an, an able body on the roster? Potentially, I, I see where you're going. Uh, I I don't know if Philly wants to touch that. Yeah. Um. You know, with the with what they've got going on there with Maxi and some of those other young players, yeah, that, that again, they they, <laughs> they they want the reps for those kids too to grow so that they can take the next step. Yeah, but uh, let me push back. This is a ten and ten team, Philadelphia. They are. And Embiid's been hurt, and you know they'll get much better when he has a long stretch here of healthy active play, but. They're not they're not beating people right now with just their core. You know, they need superstar play. And I'm not saying John Wall's a superstar, but he's a heck of a compliment to a lot of situations, especially to a young player like a Maxi. Now you may have to give up Maxi in that trade. So that may be the the situation that's difficult for Daryl Morey in Philadelphia, but I, I don't think this is the worst plan out there right now to kind of fit both sides. This is the last question I have for you. Is Daryl Morey going to do business with Houston? 
he was going to do business with Houston to get James Harden. So I would say yes. If the right pieces are on the uh, negotiation table, then I think he would. I know Keith's pushed back on packed us with this, and it is early. It's twenty games in, right? So we've got sixty games to go here for for all intents. But this is what we were waiting for. We were waiting for bad teams with good rosters to sort of come to the surface. That's Boston, right? To, and to some degree, it's Atlanta. I mean, it's getting it's getting late fast in Atlanta with this roster right now because they've done a lot of work and they're sitting at basically a fringe playoff team right now. Portland's right there. You know, Denver, you got to give a pass to because the injuries are just ridiculous. Minnesota's right there for me. Uh, these are halfway decent teams that probably should be playoff teams, but they are they're lingering right now on the outside. That's got to be what Daryl Morey's looking for here with Ben Simmons, right? Because he's, oh, absolutely. you can go and get a star off one of those teams, and I'd put this conversation into it, and Houston's at the bottom of the list, but... If you're getting a first round pick plus a player like Christian Wood and you have to take on John Wall as part of this process, A, I don't know if you know you may need a third team to send more salary back, but that first round pick alone is going to be attractive to Maury because it's going to be right, you know, way at the bottom here. It's going to be right where you want to be drafting somebody. So I I I just think this becomes more and more in focus to me. I don't I don't think Boston moves on their big guys just yet. Maybe that maybe in the offseason if it if the train tracks really kind of crumble, but and I'd say the same for Portland. I don't see an in-season move in Portland anymore here. But I think I think Minnesota and Houston are, are here to play right now. And maybe even Cleveland. And, and let's transition to that real quick, Scott. Is Kevin Love having the same kind of conversation right now with the Cleveland front office? Yeah, he definitely could be. And that again, that's why I brought up him with Keith a few weeks ago. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the writing is on the wall with these guys, especially with their large salaries. Uh, you know, I, I think Cleveland is in a different situation knowing, you know, Mobley had an injury. He was out a few games. You at least had Kevin Love to uh, offset that. So you yeah. still had your big man with Jared Allen in there. So, um, yeah, but, but I, I, just the just to piggyback off of that, what what Cleveland has that I don't believe Houston has quite yet is a clear picture about their future. Mobley and Garland are going to be superstars. Maybe by the end of this year, right? I mean, that is your future. That is your core. So it isn't crazy for them to start thinking about players that they should be positioning around those two guys for the next four to five years. Whereas Houston, I'm not sure they know exactly what they want. So taking a flyer on a Ben Simmons isn't the worst pro, you know, thing in the world, especially if you can move off of the wall situation, which is it's going to help you financially speaking. And I, I think from a roster standpoint as well down the road, do you, you understand what I'm saying? Like I put these two, two teams in very different situations. I just don't know if Kevin Love has much left on the tank. Is that fair to ask? Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that. But with the Houston situation, I think they, to a certain extent, they do know what path they want to go down. Okay. And that is why they're, they're pushing back on John Wall being a starter because they see where they want this team to go with what they've already drafted. And if they tank and they are a top lottery pick again, which for all intents yeah. and purposes they're going to be, then that's just another piece to build upon what the experience that the players that they have right now are, are getting. So uh, if at some point they can move off of John wall to get 
rid of that money, then so be it. The the one thing that helps with having John Wall is it's very minute, but having John Wall helps them get to that floor cash flow. I was going to ask that question. Do they, do they need it, Scott? Well, I mean, like I said, it's a minute thing. So what happens is if the Houston Rockets don't meet the cash floor, what they do is they take whatever the difference is between what they have paid and that floor, and they just divide it up amongst all the players that are on the team at that point. So, you know, it's a very small thing. But but it's also moot because if we're talking about Ben Simmons coming in, that's 30 million plus right there. That's that should offset the situation, right? It, It... yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, depending on what money, you know, it, it, if they reduce what they owe by five to eight million dollars or wherever it may work out to, right. it, it may offset what they would owe if they made the floor or not. So m- maybe that doesn't matter. But I mean, from a financial standpoint, you know, would you rather have John Wall sitting on your roster and potentially being a headache if he gets to that point or do you make a move for ben simmons and you know (laughs) one headache headache after another right (laughs) right it's one headache after another they got rid of russell westbrook because they got rid of james harden and you got john wall back so it's one headache after the other that's why i said I, i don't think the the houston and the cleveland situations are that different that you have brought up because I think Houston does have a plan. It's, you know, if they have to ride for two years with John wall Mm. and, you know, maybe, maybe it gets to, he exercises that player option. He's still on the roster. They can't move him, but they can move him at a trade deadline next year and not have to pay the remaining of that salary. Then, then so be it. But I think they do have a plan in place. And I think Cleveland does, too, with the pieces that they have. I don't necessarily know if Sexton is going to be that piece that gets moved at the trade deadline. But I would not be surprised be, if they the injury is tough, right? It, it is. It is. Yeah, I think that's probably a no for me now. But yeah. I think all of these teams that we're talking about here have some sort of uh, conversation with each other to try to improve themselves. Not maybe not for this year, but for the next two to three, as they try to climb this ladder a little bit. I I think you're right with Houston, by the way, they they do have a backcourt and it doesn't have to include John wall. So if if getting some sort of paint presence is what their goal is. And if, you know, if Ben Simmons is too much of a nuisance to to, to be that player, there's going to be options out there for sure. And and, and let me throw this in there. If, if you're Houston, do you want to make a trade with go to your your scenario with Ben Simmons for yeah. John Wall? Ben Simmons is going to come in, he's going to play and you're going to win games. You don't necessarily if you're well, Houston, is that you don't what's happening with John Wall though, Scott? Is that why John Wall feels like he has to say this stuff out loud because he feels like he's being suppressed for tanking purposes? Possibly, but I mean, over the offseason, it sounded like they came to a, an agreement that we're going to sit you you're not going to come, you're not going to play and we'll try to move you at some point. I think that's where John wall, he, he must be getting the itch that I'm, I'm ready to play. I want to, I want to show that I can contribute. So I think as we get closer to the trade deadline, there's going to be more rumblings, especially after this December 15th, when a lot yeah. of players come active for being traded. And I think that's, it's, not a coincidence that this rumor is coming out now, knowing that in you know 17 days the uh, uh, a lot of 
players that signed in the offseason are going to be lifted. I think the, cl- the clutch connection is a big deal. I-, I know that sounds cliched, but I think it's a big deal. I, re- I really think this is a situation that could happen, that Houston and Philadelphia play, play nice with each other here and get something done. I, I just think it satisfies both sides at least a little bit, enough to, enough to consider the offer, in my opinion. I really do. I, I think Ben Simmons, that's a good spot for him. He can kind of own himself in that paint, whether Christian Woods with him or not, which is a nice, that's a bit of a nice one-two combo, very different style sets. And and I do think John Wall, John Wall's played a minute and a half in the past three seasons. I mean, you know, give or take, but he's still scoring 20 points a game. You know, he's, he can still actually go out there and produce for you. Even as a role player, if he's your sixth man, I think that's perfectly fine for a, a team that's trying to push themselves back up the standings, which Philly's trying to do right now. So I see a connection here. I think you're right. Houston does have a plan. Why would that plan involve paying this guy $540,000 a game? You know what I mean? It's just not yeah. the right time to be doing that. So I think you go and you, you start to do your homework on this stuff and, and get it done. Not because you're satisfying him, but because it's the right thing for your roster. Yeah. And, and from a Philly standpoint, I mean, obviously Ben Simmons is not playing, but they're still from all intents and purposes that I know of, they're still finding him. So that's money that they can get back. That's Whereas right. if you, if you trade for John wall and you're, you're stuck with him or he has another injury. Well, let me ask you that you, question. Cause I heard that the, that Houston was entertaining, bringing the league in, into this conversation because basically he, he's, it's a breach of contract situation, right? If he's not playing based on certain terms, you know, he wants to start, he won't be a bench player, right? As you're saying, can the league come in and suspend John wall? Um, I mean, if it got to a point where it was conduct detrimental to the team, I mean, is refusal to play suspendable or is that just internal legalities that you have to basically call breach of contract? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure on that one. Cause I think we might get to that point here, which to me just screams trade the guy if it's possible. Might be impossible. Yeah, I guess I, I guess <laughs> to a certain extent that that is Ben Simmons. He's refusing to play. He's refusing to right. uh, conduct himself with team doctors and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, there, there's probably something to stand on there if it if it gets to a point where John Wall refuses to play, but it sounds like he wants to play. He just doesn't want to come off the bench. Okay. Last thing. Answer, answer the, uh, the point I brought up before in your own terms, which of those teams that are kind of sitting in the middle of the pack right now actually make a trade Boston, Portland, you know, those kind of teams, Minnesota. I'm going to say Minnesota. Okay. I, 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 I think they wanted to see what their roster was going to entail. I mean, we had those rumors with Ben Simmons in the offseason. But I think that is a team that they started off pretty well. And, um, you know, their last 10, they're 7-3. and three, So, that, you know, being 500, they're right in the middle. They could jump up and, and, you know, make themselves in that playoff contention a little bit more. Um, and then the second team that I'll say is – I think Boston's going to have to do something really, you know, it is as a big, big market team that has high expectations. I just feel like something's going to have to give on that team that being 11 and 10 right now. I, I just don't think it's going to fly. And I think they're just going to, they're going to have to do something. Mm. 
Always fun. Always fun. Always. Lakers are weird. Boston is weird. Atlanta's weird. The Knicks aren't as good as we wanted them to be. Good times heading towards Christmas. Good stuff, Scott. All right. Thanks. All right. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year. And of course, Balanced Bridge Funding. Visit balancedbridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.